You're listening to HBCU and Entertainment, where diversity, equity, and inclusion refine the future of entertainment. I'm your host, Stacey Milner. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I want to introduce you to a woman who is, first of all, a friend, a game changer, and someone who is changing the face of production, Ashley McFarland. Let me read her bio to you. Ashley McFarland is the Vice President of Development and Original Production at WeTV All Black, where she oversees new and developing projects for the network and serves as an executive producer on popular series, including Grown and Gospel, Brat Loves Judy, a la carte and 50 cents hip hop homicides. As a Howard alum with over 20 years experience in the industry, Ashley has garnered strong, a strong, I should say a strong reputation for crafting layered elevated stories of larger than life characters that are relatable, real and wildly entertaining. Today, I am proud to share an amazing partnership with Ashley and the important work that we do with our Entertainment Industry College Outreach Program. And we are so excited to have her on the show today. So please welcome Ashley McFarland. Hello, Ashley, and welcome. Hi, Stacy. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm ready to jump into some questions if you are. Well, I'm always ready. I stay ready. All right, good, good. <laughs> So um, I want to first start by saying, so was there any inspiration, you know, a childhood experience, anything that led you to this particular industry and career path that you're on today? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I, um, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, my mother is was a local producer here so I was sort of born into this world and didn't realize it was a world like I didn't know it wasn't normal for like the family friend to be the weatherman um so I was easily fascinated with what television is was and what goes on behind the scenes as a child just from like going to work with my mom or like you know local television producers and talent being around my family so often um, it just sort of was a natural transition for me to pursue a career in it. And I, I specifically asked that question because I had the privilege of meeting your mom. Oh, who, she's a powerhouse. Oh my God. So yeah. talk about empowering and how, how effective it is, right? For us to see folks like us, women like us, people doing these things. Oh, yeah. And when I met your mom, I was like, oh my God. And she was like, you're doing what I was trying to make the industry do a long time ago. So yeah. anyway. Yeah, my mother, okay. uh, her name is Dr. Murdell McFarland. She's a PhD. She just got her PhD a year, year and a half ago. She's in her 70s. Um, like I said, she's a powerhouse. Um, and when I was a child, early 80s, my mother was coming out of a career in television when it was unheard of for a Black woman to be an executive producer, a supervising producer, creating content. She worked here in Atlanta for the Turner Broadcasting um, Networks that were based here. I think primarily um, TBS was her, her main jam. Uh, she used to do a show called Good People, um, which nowadays is probably like a segment on the Today Show, but then it was like a whole show where she got to travel around the country and meet good people and tell their stories and speak to how they were impacting their communities. 
And um, she is a student of the craft of television. So as a child, I wasn't exposed to the, I mean, I was exposed to the glitz and glamour of television. I think there's a picture of me at like four in Quincy Jones's arms because she was interviewing him. But she leaned more into making sure I understood the art form of storytelling and the appreciated the technical um, uh, aspects of creating television. So I wasn't just thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a TV producer, just pick up a camera and shoot. She really wanted me to understand that this is something that you want to learn the craft of. You want to understand the technology behind the cameras because it was constantly changing. Um, the, the studio space, how that was always um, being reinvented and reimagined. And then as a storyteller, learning how to articulate your voice in such a way that it was not only captivating to your audience, but honest to the content. Um, so I was able to not just be told that by her, but I was watching her do it as mm-hmm. I was growing up. So to your point about the importance of representation, I, I'm not sure I would be so bold in the space that I work in now in television and film, had I not experienced seeing her um, work in those roles of, um, you know, uh, really important positions on the television teams and really be unapologetic about um, directing teams of mostly white men and uh, standing her ground on uh, ideas and thoughts that she had about how content was being crafted and created that was reflecting our culture and our people. Wow. Yeah, I mean, all of that is just incredible and amazing. And I love the fact that, you know, she was wanting you not only just to understand the art, right, but the technical side. And I think that's something that needs to be instilled now because so many, you know, students, young people go to film school and things like that. And all they want to do is be the writer, the director and the producer. And it's like, well, what about the other critical aspects that you're going to need to know? So, um, that needs to be incorporated back into school. <laughs> it was really important. I think um, she would always, like our family were like the the sound engineer or like the gaffer. Like, so I was always just as a kid, just kind of at their feet studying what they did. And I didn't know the hierarchy of positions. I just figured everybody's creating this magic that I would always see come through the little TV box. So they were all important. Right. Um, and I was just kind of taking everything that I could see and witness and ask a ton of questions. And this is at like age eight, nine, 10, ask a lot of questions about how people were doing what they were doing because um, I was, I was fascinated. Most eighties babies are raised by TV. Like we're at home and we're watching Sesame street and pinwheel on Nickelodeon. And this is for the older people who are watching. Um, (laughs) And, you know, we're noticing that there are these, these worlds that we're falling in love with and these characters and people that as young minds we think are real, but we're not really sure. Um, so to kind of have that veil removed at such an early age and I could see um, the mechanics behind it, um, it was mesmerizing. And I, I immediately wanted to be a part of it in whatever way I could. Well, you're doing it. You're doing <laughs> it. So, uh, so I'm going to take you to questions about your career, right? So if I'm not mistaken, you began your career as a production assistant at CNN in Atlanta. I uh, did. So- so walk us through, you know, your career journey and how you went from being a PA, known as a production assistant, to the executive ranks of where you are today. Um, the funny thing is, when I was starting, I didn't know I was starting. You know, I think I just thought, okay, this is a cool experience. 
there's no way I'm ever going to do what I'm now doing. Like, it just seems so far-fetched. Um, but as a young high school student, I think I was a senior at Pace Academy here in Atlanta, Georgia. I was studying journalism sort of through my extracurricular activities. I may have been editor of the newspaper. I'm not sure. But um, my journalism advisor um, suggested that I apply for this summer internship at CNN that was eligible for high school students, which was like wow. unheard of. Like high school kids don't get a lot of opportunities, even now, um, yeah. to work at that level in television and film. So I jumped on it. I was really excited about it. I did the whole application. Um, I was a really independent kid, so my parents never really knew what I was up to. They just knew I was going to school <laughs> and I so they left me alone. But my mom caught me like in sort of like the the fervor of pulling this application together. She's like, what are you working on? And I was like, oh, I'm applying to this internship that my teacher told me about at CNN. And she's like, why didn't you tell me? Like, she's got tons of colleagues over at CNN. Right. Like, didn't even, <laughs> didn't even cross my mind. Um, so, uh, you know, not to like say I got it because of nepotism, but I am sure that a nice word from my mom, in addition to a really strong application, because I was a really, really um, uh, talented, if I do say so myself, um, high school student in journalism, um, helped me get a really competitive um, spot at the CNN internship. And that really catapulted everything for me. It was like, wow. I'm, I'm a, I'm a faith-based person. And I look back and I think how blessed I was to have had that opportunity because it opened up so many doors, so many that I wouldn't have considered when I actually took the job. I thought the internship would really just give me an opportunity to meet and network with professionals in the industry, learn a lot about television. I had no idea that the other aspect of working in this industry was the prestige of the brands that you work for. So oh. coming out of high school and then eventually college with CNN as my first credit was just like, everyone was like, who is this kid? And I was like, right. just Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the who, experience- who took the, who took the advice of her teacher and went and applied and, and you know, here you are. It, so it yeah, was, it, was a tough, it was a tough application process. My mom didn't really come in until like I was about to send it in. Um, and I think she just called a friend and said, hey, my daughter's applying for this. You know, keep an eye out for it if you can. Um, and I, I got the and I I'd like to say that because I never want to be. Um, I always want to be transparent about the process of navigating this field. I don't want to offer the false narrative that hard work. And, you know, great accomplishments are always going to open those big doors for you. They don't. Sometimes right. they do. And eventually they do. I just think as a principle, the harder you work, eventually something's got to pop. Right. Um, but they don't always on that first try. And there is something to be said about the relationships you have in the industry and how you should leverage those relationships and not feel guilty about it. If you right. know people who work at companies, if you have former teachers, professors, family and friends who are at certain places that you'd like to work at, call them. Like you should not think that, oh, I just want to, you know, lean on my laurels and just hope for the best. Like, no, use what's available to you. Exactly. Like, it's not, it's yeah. not a dirty thing to have these relationships. So I like to include that in this part of the story. But I will add, once I got the internship at CNN, I came at a time when CNN, quite frankly, was evolving and transitioning into the, um, the digital space. Mm -hmm. um, this was like the late 90s, early 2000s, and dot com was like a big deal. And news um, organizations were really trying to figure out what their space in that lane was going to be. 
CNN at that time had literally just launched what now is CNN.com used to be CNN Interactive. Mm, okay. CNN.com is what we go to regularly now to get most of our news, right? The tweets come out, the breaking news, all of that online. We all just assume it's always been there. I recall when this started, CNN Interactive was like four young nerds in this back room that they shoved them in because nobody thought digital and dot com <laughs> was going to be a real thing. And then I was their intern. They assigned me as their wow. intern. Wow. So I really thought I got the short end of the stick because I'm not even in the newsroom. I'm not meeting like the big reporters. I'm in this back room with these kids out of college who've been assigned <laughs> with like dealing with whatever this dot com interactive thing is. But it turned out to be the best thing that could have happened because uh-huh. I was involved in a lot of the decisions and a lot of the innovative um, and creative ideas that came to CNN about how to craft this new version of themselves. And because I was so young in high school, I was able to really contribute to those conversations. And they listened to me because I was one of the few people that actually understood what digital was. And we went on, they would go on to build out the site and, and make it what it is today. But at that time, we were coming out with really cool ideas about how to translate what we would see on air with the news reports into much more um, digestible and smaller news packages for the interactive space. Um, we would do cool things with the pictures and the captions and the videos just to make it feel um, less heady and less newsy and more fun because digital was always considered to be a more youthful and fun and interactive space. Um, so that was just a ton of fun. Like back in the day when there were beepers, I think one of my first <laughs> tasks as an intern was like to I would listen to the news reports and I had to type in an X number of characters, the shorter version of the news report into the beeper. So when people got their new CNN news alerts on their beeper, it was what I typed coming to wow. them. You, that, were tweeting, you were tweeting before Twitter. Tweeting before tweets were tweets. <laughs> it was a lot. Of, it was, it really like, it blew my mind at how impactful and influential um, media is. I think, I think we keep, I think we really underestimate how much media shapes our thoughts and creates the lenses that we see the world through. And to know that as a 17 year old, I was giving someone their version of the news on their beeper that they would like refer to throughout the day. That changed my whole perspective on what it meant to be a producer, what it meant to be a writer and what it meant to really have a seat at the table. Um, You shouldn't take it lightly when you work in media because you are literally influencing and changing the minds of masses amounts of people and that is what shifts culture that's what changes history and i i would like to encourage young people who are looking to get into this field not to just think it's this fun creative thing where you can get your cool stories out but to really acknowledge that the impact you have on somebody's heart and mind is something you shouldn't do lightly yeah it's a powerful uh tool and it's an enormous responsibility you know that we all have. Um, wow. So cool. I love it. And I, <laughs> and I think the, this generation right now is in this transitionary period, right? <laughs> Where we're going from the way we used to do things to this advanced, you know, revolutionized technology, you know, space. And um, so I like to say like back in the day was the industrial revolution, right? So we're at that period right now. So it's a really, and you were sitting there not even knowing, you know, 17 year old that you were in a phase that was going to like be the norm, you know, for the industry going forward. So 
Really cool story. Love it. So next question for you here. So what were some of the challenges or barriers that you faced breaking into the entertainment industry and how did you overcome them? And if you had those challenges and barriers? I think the most honest question to this is that most of my challenges and barriers to my trajectory in my career path came from me. Mm. I looking back, I'm, I just turned 43 a couple weeks ago. So I'm a grown up. Um, <laughs> looking back at my life, I realized that most of the seasons that were most troublesome for me were rooted in my own inability to recognize who I was and understand my value and what I brought to circumstances and situations. And to also not believe and trust the process of development within myself, um, personally as a human being and professionally as a creator. Um, specifically, um, I think I was, I just graduated from Howard University and I was looking for opportunities for more internships after college. And I was uh, blessed to have gotten an internship at MTV, the Summer Associates Program, really highly competitive paid internship program that they have, um, similar to the PAGE program at NBC. And I got selected and I was in there and I started um, that summer and I was having a ball, learning a lot, but there were moments where I probably had opportunities to excel and to be promoted into greater spaces and to be connected to more people who could probably elevate my career. And I shrank, I shrank. I, I was afraid of the success. It was, it was happening really fast. I was, um, like I said, that CNN credit, it got a lot of people excited about me, right. but because I wasn't excited about me, I couldn't join in that enthusiasm and I couldn't partner with them on a strategy of how to leverage my greatness. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes I was usually oh. the one pushing back. Um, no, I'm not ready. Um, no, I don't think that's for me without even really thinking it through or listening to them and trusting that they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself mm -hmm. and thinking that I, you know, it's too soon to suddenly be an associate producer. I just graduated from, from college. Like, no, I should be a, a PA for three, four years, like everybody right. else does. Right. And my life story was saying, no, Ashley, you don't need to be a PA for three or four, four years because you have, uh, institutional knowledge about the industry and about what you want to do that others don't have just because of how you were raised and what you were exposed to. Um, but you're not recognizing who you are. You're not appreciating your own story and trying to relegate myself into the norm instead of accepting that I might actually be extraordinary. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. We are right? our own worst enemies. Yeah. 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 And I can say even for myself, when I first started in this business, you know, I felt the same way. I didn't feel I wasn't sure about me if I knew enough, if I'd been around enough. Um, yeah. And so I held myself back uh, and I could have been leaps ahead, but, you know, I had to grow. So mm -hmm. it, it's just a journey, I think, that we all, you know, end up taking. And I think sometimes we don't think about those barriers and those no. challenges really being the issue, right? Because yeah. it is about us and how we yeah. feel about ourselves, how we project ourselves to others mm -hmm. and how we show up in spaces. So mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, so you mentioned Howard. So I have I to did. ask. I, I have, have to mention Howard. When have, you ever, when have you ever met someone who went to Howard and didn't mention Howard within like the first 10 minutes of talking? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't happened. <laughs> 
So how do you feel your yeah. how how do you feel your education at Howard prepared you for your professional career or in life, you know, whatever, but what was that experience like and how do you think it best prepared you? Um, so I should give a little context. I went to a predominantly white high school, Pace Academy that I mentioned, um, a prep school here in Atlanta. And I came out as a graduate with really high marks. Um, you know, scholastically, I was a threat. Like I was, I was, I was good. Great grades. I could knock anybody out in the classroom. Um, but socially, um, I was lacking in the self-esteem that I think it is needed to be competitive in the space that I was looking to go into. Howard offered me an opportunity to build my self-esteem. You walk onto the campus of Howard University and you are immediately told that you are a superpower. You are capable of all things and everyone on that campus is there to support you in your pursuit of all things. And that was a game changer for me. It wasn't just lip service. I was on campus and in classrooms with PhD black professors. So again, that representation was sort of um, confirming the messaging that the school was offering that like, excellence is attainable. It's not something that you have to hope for. It's yours for the taking. Mm -hmm. And you're also then growing up with other young intellectual Black students who are just as driven, just as ambitious, often have the same self-esteem issues as you. And you guys uh, bond in that. You connect in recognizing that, hey, I was the, the coolest Black kid at my all-white school, but now that I'm at this all-Black school, I don't feel quite as cool. And you kind of like you vibe mm -hmm. and you connect on that, but then you also recognize that I think we may have gotten it wrong. We weren't just cool at our high school because we were black. We were cool at our high school because we're cool. So let's just be cool here <laughs> right. too, right. together. And then like all of that greatness coming together, just, you know, iron sharpens iron, sheep begets sheep. Like you just keep building on each other's energy and it really lifts you up to a space where you feel bold. You feel audacious. And when I graduated from Howard, I felt confident enough to immediately move to New York and just take over as quickly as I could. Um, now, to, my, to your other question that I answered about me holding myself back, it's one thing to be taught and trained in sort of that boot camp bubble of Howard University of how great you are. It's another thing to really have what it takes to hold on to that once mm -hmm. you're thrust into the real world where everything and everyone is trying to convince you of the opposite. Um, right. and, and I learned quickly once I was out in New York that as much um, affirmation that Howard offered to me about my greatness and about my trajectory for excellence in my career and in my life, I still had some work to do internally about really believing it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it would take, you know, my 20s and 30s um, to get to a point where I, I, I went through enough, um, I went through enough setbacks during that time. And I went through enough um, situations where I was the issue that I finally like light bulb went off. And it was like, Ashley, take some time to work on yourself and see you for who you really are so that you can step out and be the person that you were told and were taught you were when you were at Howard. Wow. That, that's powerful. That's good stuff. Yeah. Love it. It's um, my life. It's your life. It is. And it's a good, it's a good life. It's a good story. It, it's very inspirational. Uh, and I know that you, I know you live it. Uh, and I, I live it. I live it. You can't tell me I ain't it now, girl. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know who I is. I know uh, who I anywho. Uh, so now as the vice president 
uh, of development, original production. You know, you hold a significant role in shaping the future of the entertainment industry. How do you see the future of entertainment evolving? That is a weighty question. Um, so I think with the unfortunate and traumatic murder of George Floyd in 2020, we all experienced a shift, not just spiritually, emotionally, and personally, but professionally. Um, I think every corporation in the world, quite frankly, uh, took a moment to assess um, how they were dealing with race, how they were dealing with discrimination, how they were dealing with equity. And since 2020, I have witnessed, at least at my company, um, a firm commitment to diversity, inclusion and equity. And I'm noticing that with that firm commitment and with greater representation of voices in these C-suite offices and meetings, speaking to that commitment, we, we are watching the workforce at our company um, become more diversified and in my opinion, then become better. Um, we're watching the content and the product out of our company become uh, much more thoughtful and in my opinion, a bit more impactful. Um, and I then think looking outside of my company, I'm seeing that happen consistently in other at other networks in the television and film industry. Um, is it happening as fast as I would like it to? No, because I've been living, you know, half my life or three quarters of my life where that wasn't the case. Um, so once the once that shift happens, you kind of want everything to just kind of flip so we can just be done with it already. Um, but again, I'm learning to be patient with the process and recognizing that even the small steps in that direction are worthy um, to to value and, and not to try to speed up. Um, and I'm watching younger people come into the industry who were sort of born into this mindset of diversity, inclusivity, and equity um, be more bold and more forceful about holding the companies and their employers accountable for living up to that messaging about DEI initiatives. And I think that's helping the most. When you have a new generation in your workforce really pushing everyone to the limit to show up um, with what they've been saying for a while, it, it really holds them to the fire. And we're, we're watching the changes happen kind of you know, live. Wow. So, um, you know, we TV and all black, are there mm -hmm. any specific like initiatives that, you know, you guys are behind right now, um, you know, to make sure that there's more opportunities provided for people of color? Yes. So AMC as a corporation has made a commitment uh, to writers rooms um, being more diverse. I can't speak specifically to the percentage, but it was a pretty high percentage. I want to say 50%. Um, needed to be people of color. Um, and uh, that coming from the top down has then influenced a lot of decisions on how we um, position our producing partners um, and their diversity initiatives on our end. So because unscripted content is the primary content for WeTV, you know, writer's room diversity isn't really something that's applicable to us. But um, producing partners and diversifying that pool is. So personally, I, in 20, late 2020, early 2021, um, I connected with um, our senior leadership team to uh, suggest that we offer more development deals to 
companies of color because we were accustomed to working with the same folks. We had been working with the big conglomerate production companies, primarily white, um, for several years, and they were churning out great shows for us. But I saw that we had an opportunity now that everyone seemed much more open to the idea of diversifying to really invite younger, newer, um, uh, smaller uh, production companies that had uh, black CEOs and, and black leadership uh, to the table to just pitch on the development process. You know, I know you guys don't want to necessarily jump in bed with a bunch of new people, no matter what color they are. Right, right. Um, too fast. So on the development side, that that's sort of like a... Um, a safer space um, to invite people in just to kind of play around with some mm -hmm. ideas and see what other companies have to offer and see if there's an opportunity for real synergy creatively. Um, that worked. We, we did in 2021, um, a few, uh, we call them bake-offs where we have uh, newer production companies come in. We give them a, a bit of change to offer up some development ideas and see if any of them stick. And a few of them have. And I, I'm proud to say since then, we've brought on like two or three new production companies of color to the team. I know two or three nice. sounds very small when you think about this, but I don't think people recognize how small WeTV is. WeTV is only, only has two nights of original programming, which if you do the math, we only have like, you know, five to six shows on that are original every week. So the producing partner pool is small because you usually have maybe one company doing two of those shows. So we're looking at um, a group of people that we date in the production field. Um, we usually have a, a pool of maybe 10 to 12, maybe 15 um, producing partners that we generally turn to. So to have, you know, three or four of those turn up to be black is dope. That's, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> so, progress. Yeah, that's progress. Yeah. So um, really happy about building those new relationships, bringing them into the fold such that my, my goal is always, whether I am here or not, I never want to leave a space that doesn't feel like I was there. So mm. I could leave WeTV tomorrow, but I know that I was able to bring ideas and um, programming and strategies to the table that will far outlast um, my presence there. And this was one. This is where I've introduced WeTV to new producing partners of color. They've built relationships without me, and hopefully they will go on to create more and more content and then bring more and more producing partners of color to the table. Um, so that's that's one commitment for WeTV. They have, we have been very um, intentional about diversifying our producing partner pool. Um, all Black kind of has an advantage, because guess what? We're all Black. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I think, you know, what we have leaned into on the all black side is really because this is a streaming platform that prioritizes the black voice, prioritizes black creativity, prioritizes black leadership in the creating room. Um, we then as sister stations, sister networks, we turn to them. We're like, hey, can you introduce us to some of your friends so that we can start <laughs> like integrating um, the pools of directors and showrunners across platforms? Um, right. Because a lot of times scripted showrunners and scripted um, uh, teams do both. They work they work both in unscripted and scripted. So there's an opportunity for us to um, cross pollinate the talent so that uh, WeTV benefits from all Our, blacks farm position in the in the community. You're doing good work. I love it, and it's so important for, for you, your colleagues, 
everybody's got to have that kind of buy-in, right? Yeah. Because that's the only way we can usher in the real change that's necessary and needed um, for, for us to achieve these goals that we want. Um, I should say to achieve real equity, diversity, and inclusion yeah. Yeah. Um, in this space. So, all right, I'm going to change gears a little bit. So okay. we had the awesome privilege of having you host one of your production boot camps for us this Ooh, summer. Yes. And it was got rave reviews. I mean, I mean, students coming up going like, do you do this every year? Like so many. <laughs> so I'd love for you to take a moment and just kind of talk a little bit about those boot camps and, mm -hmm. you know, tell us about what the events look like. What do, what do participants walk away with? What can they expect? Whatever, however you want to talk about it. So the boot camps were born, you know, they always say great ideas are born out of necessity. Um, I was recognizing that in a lot of the work I was doing as a showrunner, because before I became a, a network executive, I was a showrunner for a little over 20 years um, in the unscripted reality TV space. And what I was learning the longer I was in this as a showrunner is that the talent pool was really lacking. I wasn't getting the impression, and it might be with the onset of social media and with YouTube, there's an opportunity for younger producers and writers and directors to just kind of get out there independently and do their own thing that they were sort of, I was noticing a lot of them were skipping that step that my mom had instilled in me of like the fundamentals of storytelling and producing television. And I was getting a lot of entry level uh, employees or staffers, team members who quite frankly, weren't prepared for, for what they were walking into um outside of like imposter syndrome and self-esteem issues like the actual skills that they needed to do the job weren't there um and i was watching people get promoted and moving through this industry quite frankly pretty quickly um and i was concerned that television content would suffer for it um mm -hmm. because you're just going to have a lot of people who are just putting stuff on the screen that pops and not recognizing again appreciating the impact you're having on people's minds and hearts if you're not taking the time to artfully tell these stories and, and craft narratives that have layers and depth and integrity, um, I was just concerned for the human race. We're going to be creating a bunch of junk on TV. So um, I, in between gigs as a showrunner, because I would often maybe work for four or five months a year and then um, usually take off really the rest of the year because um, financially it worked. Um, showrunners make a lot of money, guys. So if you want to go that route. <laughs> You know, stay the course. Um, but during that time, I would get bored and there was an opportunity. My mom actually suggested that I um, teach because that's what she did when she transitioned out of the active space of producing. She started teaching television and film over at Clark Atlanta University. So mm -hmm. she suggested that I teach. And I was like, I don't I'm not a teacher. Like, who's going to hire me? I don't have certificates and all that stuff. And she was like, girl you work in television. She's like, do you know how happy a university would be to have a working professional on staff as an adjunct? So I could come in for a semester or two, you know, you know, whenever it worked for my schedule and just kind of pour into students what I was learning real time in the industry. Um, so I reached out, I was in New Jersey at the time and I reached out to Montclair State University um, and my mom actually connected me with people at Clark Atlanta University and it worked out that I was able to suddenly do these like uh, courses in television and I crafted my own curriculum and I had a ball doing it. I love teaching. I love the enthusiasm and the hunger that comes with students who really want to learn 
how to do this. Um, they don't just want to be a superstar executive or be a superstar director. They really wanted to learn how to tell great stories because they had great stories to tell. That's something I think we also underestimate about this newer generation of creatives. They have some prolific stories that need to be told and they just need the tools and the mentorship to know how to package it and tell them right. So um, after creating a curriculum and for a few years, I had done this in between gigs. Um, a good friend of mine, Maximus Wright out of Jackson, Mississippi, um, I think he had seen me on some other podcasts and he reached out to see if I would be interested in supporting him um, in a very ambitious endeavor in Jackson, Mississippi to build a stronger and more vibrant television and film community, um, which I thought was ironic because my mother, when she transitioned out of working in the professional space, ended up going to Jackson, Mississippi to teach. Oh, wow. Uh, crazy, right? She was yeah. teaching film out there. So I was like, okay, this may be very serendipitous. Um, let's let's follow this up. Um, had a few calls with him. I did a few like Zooms or whatever with like some young creatives he had in Jackson. It went really well. And he was like, Ashley, you're, this is like a really good resource that you're offering. Like, how, what are you going to do with it? And I was like, eh. Honestly, I haven't been a professor for a while and I just, I have this curriculum. I've actually been toying around with like creating this, like, it'd be my dream to have like this retreat boot camp for mm -hmm. creatives where I just take them off somewhere and we spend like a week just like going through what it takes to do good TV and film. And he was like, you could do that here. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, he has this great relationship with the television film uh, commission out in Jackson. He'd love to explore the idea of doing it. And long story short, I drafted up my proposal for it. We pulled a budget together and we were able to launch uh, my my personal production company is called Bird's Eye Entertainment. So I do the boot camp through Bird's Eye Entertainment and it's called the B Boot Camp. So many double meanings for that. Be you, <laughs> be great, be, like all right. these things. Um, Bird's Eye View means you understand all aspects of television. Like I could go on and on about why this works. So the B boot camp was born out of that conversation and he's been very supportive and helping me get it off the ground. I do it annually at the Jackson Film Festival under his leadership. He creates a whole week of Jack of film festival activities and the boot camp has become the centerpiece of that festival, which is fantastic. Um, and then from there, I've been able to do kind of like satellite truncated versions of it with groups like yours, um, HBCU in LA and come out for a day or two and just do a shorter version of what I offer at the big festival, but I'm really, really um, getting much more intentional about encouraging people to come out to that festival because that's really where you get the, right. the breadth of what I have to offer. It's three to four days. I think we're doing four days next year of like really intense, um, I hope fruitful um, tutelage in the television and film space. I love it. You are amazing. And, oh, and I love you. Thank I'm you. just like, I just think you're just, wow. Like, I'm just so glad our paths cross because Stacey, you are and right. I, I just love it. We're intentional and we're strategic about what, what, what we want to do and the impact that we want to make. And I am just honored that you had the time to come and be with us today. Yeah. But I want you to leave the students that are looking to land a career in this industry. What advice or wisdom can you share with them as a closing? Figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, um, I also work with a, a dear friend of mine in New Jersey. Um, we launched a, a teen girl empowerment program that called the power of you teens. And we work with younger kids, middle school and high school. Um, because I realized 
quite frankly, associated to the very first question you asked me, that if I could have had the opportunity to take the time to discover myself and explore who I am, and this isn't an exercise of right and wrong, like, am I behaving correctly? Am I making bad decisions? It really is an exercise of dating you, learning you, exploring what your interests are, what disappoints you, what brings you joy, what grants you peace, what makes you angry, what makes you laugh. Really knowing who you are puts you in a really powerful position to recognize what's for you. Because if you do the work early on of recognizing who you are, what you're about and what you believe in, right, wrong, or indifferent, as opportunities come your way, you can much more easily discern if it's an opportunity meant for you. Um, again, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a faith-based person. There's a scripture I always lean on that says, it may be permissible, but that doesn't mean it's beneficial. So mm. you could be good at a ton of stuff. And if you are, you'll walk into this world and everything that comes your way that lines up with any of those talents that you have, you'll take. And you'll end up exerting a lot of energy in spaces that you may not be called to. So you could be, I think uh, Bishop Bronner says this thing, you could be building a ladder to the top of a building and get to the top and realize the building wasn't even somewhere you were supposed to be. And <laughs> I love it, that. it just speaks to, if you take the time to learn who you are and then you recognize when opportunities are really meant for you, you will be on the path of your purpose. Because oftentimes we get to like 20, 30 something, maybe 40, 50 something, still trying to figure out what our purpose is. Like the people, there's a multi-million dollar industry of trying to help people figure out their purpose. Right. And what I would argue is that I don't think it's necessarily something you have to figure out. It's something you could just discover if you took the time to learn who you are. Because once you recognize who you are, little Ashley is going to tell big Ashley what she wants and what's best for her. And then if she starts doing what's best for her, it's going to benefit everyone around her. Ooh. We, can drop, we can drop the mic on that one. And I, <laughs> I think that applies to the next generation. I think it applies to you 40, 50, whatever you're old. We got to figure out who we are, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in order to be our best selves in order to be whatever we want to be and the impact that we want to make in this world, because it is not all about us. It is about those that, you know, are around us in our sphere. And then how do we help, you know, continue to perpetuate, you know, good for the next generation. Yeah. So and if, if I could add for those that may think that was a little too esoteric for the answer to your question, if you're just coming out of college and you're like, I just need a job. I promise if you spend four to five weeks, not pursuing the job, not asking a ton of people questions, not trying to figure this out and figure that out and just enjoy you start waking up every morning and, and, and being quiet and listening to see what it is you want to do that will bring you peace and joy at the end of those six weeks, the opportunities are going to appear in your mind. You're going to be like, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And when they talk to Miss Stacy about internship opportunities that are available, you can with confidence say, Miss Stacy, I don't think that one's for me, but I would love this one over here. And then if you're that confident about what you're pursuing, everyone else who's supporting you will feel much more convicted to make it happen for you. Oh, very good advice, Ashley. Thank <laughs> you so much. This has been great. But I oh, know I, I it's it. gonna be great anyway. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Stacey, I cannot leave here without thanking you for everything you're doing for this industry, everything you're doing for the culture, everything you're just you're doing for the space that we're in right now that needs someone who is compassionate 
and really sees the big picture of helping young people get the tools and get the relationships they need to be where they need to be to really shake things up and make the impact they were born to make. So thank you. And thank, thank HBCU and LA for doing this. Thank you. I want to thank you for joining me today and tuning in to another episode of HBCU and Entertainment. If this episode resonated with you, please comment, rate, share, review the podcast. Your feedback is very important. Until next time, know that I appreciate you lending me your ears. Catch you in the next episode.